Welcome back to the official SEC Slow Smoke Podcast. I'm your host, Alex. I got my two bros, Holt Smash and Mr. JB Brooks on the line. Holt, what's up? Hey, Alex, how's it going? Um, not too much. Just uh, another day without college football, but we're one day closer. And I'm um, looking forward to Saturday, Thursday. Thursday will be a nice little, you know, nice and okay games. But i uh, really looking forward to Saturday and uh, getting college football season kicked off. It's my favorite time of the year. So it's been, you know, it's kind of like my, it's kind of like my Christmas day, uh, opening day. And you know, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of the most wonderful time of the year, I guess you could say. Um, let me, uh, let me uh, and stuff like that around, uh, if you don't mind me, uh, talking a little bit long here in my introduction, I do apologize. Um, you know, like a lot of people like to watch like Christmas movies, like before Christmas and I like to watch old college football games. So I've been watching some old college football games to, uh, to get me ready and uh, I'm ready for, ready for my Christmas day on Saturday. And that's all I got. That's all I got to say about that. Whole smash. All I got to ask you is if you're ready for some college football, can I get a hell yeah? Yep. That's not even a hell yeah. That's all right. Well, we'll see. Mr. J.B. Brooks, if you're ready for year two of Jeremy Pruitt in Knoxville, can I get a hell yeah? Hell yeah. And I also want to add that Holt completely stole my line about this being his Christmas day. It's my Christmas day, too. But uh, everything Holt said holds true for me, and I'm just going to leave it at that. And uh, let's just get this ball rolling because it's week one, and I am ready. Does... This is just for you all listening out there. This is Wednesday night, technically Thursday morning for some of us on the Eastern time zone here. Uh, Does Thursday night football tomorrow count as part of the opening kickoff weekend? Or are we going to reserve that officially until Saturday, even though Florida played last week? I'll ask that to JB. Yeah, it's definitely part of opening weekend. I mean, Opening weekend uh, for the first week, it's like it spans over five days from Thursday through Monday. So, yes, it's definitely officially the kickoff, but obviously the main day is going to be Saturday. Main day is Saturday. Holt Smash, are you excited for more excited for Texas A&M versus Texas State tomorrow or Clemson and Georgia Tech? Uh, well, considering that uh, our cable provider does not carry the ACC network, uh, I'm going to have Ooh. to say the Texas A&M-Texas State game. Although, I will say that if I'm able to stay up long enough, um, I'm very excited to watch that U- Utah-BYU game. The I Holy think, War. I think that uh, that's always a really exciting rivalry and um, always a really good game. So, uh, two really physical teams that don't like each other very much. Uh be a great way to uh, to kick off that Thursday night. And then, I mean, UCLA, Cincinnati, I feel like could be a pretty good game. So, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's good. And I'm, I'm interested to see what Texas A&M looks like. Um, hopefully they come out and take care of business and uh, are able to, you know, get an easy win and stay healthy and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll be watching. But I definitely – I wouldn't say I'm excited for that game, but I'm uh, anxious to see how uh, Texas A&M looks in week one. For sure, and that makes me wonder if I even have the ACC network here in Atlanta with George. You Jackson. don't. Okay. You well, don't. why is it part of ESPN? It's part of ESPN family of networks, right? It is, but um, there's a lot of providers that don't have an ACC network. Like you should see the long list of, uh, of providers that don't have it. Like the only one in Memphis that has it is Directv, um, AT&T Universe, uh, Dish. Um, Xfinity, none of those providers carry the ACC network. Uh, To me, like, if you have that many providers that don't carry the ACC network, it's probably the ACC network. I want to charge way too high of fees to carry it. And none of these providers probably see the ACC network as, you know, valuable enough in order to pick it up. Basically, what the cable companies are saying is what we already know, which is that the ACC sucks. Yeah, we do. Do they suck more than the Big Ten, though, Holt? Uh, no, I mean, that's, that's saying a lot. I wouldn't quite go that far, but I just, you know, the ACC is kind of like the SEC's little brother, um, you know, cause they're mostly in the South as well. And, um, you know, they tried to copy our idea a little bit, but, uh, they're just not quite as, uh, you know, they just got a little bit more than they bargained for, um, bit off a little bit more than they could chew to use another saying. So, uh, you know, 
it's it's kind of sucks because I know there's going to be a lot of college football games this year on the ACC network on the ACC network that we're not going to be able to watch, and uh, I'm sad about that. And hopefully uh, this gets resolved soon because um, I definitely would like to uh, you know watch some ACC games, you know, because I'm just a college football fan. I just love college football, so. Isn't it funny how ACC is the toughest conference in the world when Jimbo Fisher is coaching Florida State, but then when he switches over to Texas A&M, the SEC is the toughest conference in the world. Yeah, I mean, that's just how it goes. I mean, coaches are going to talk about what their schedule is, and they want to talk about how, you know, know, they want the playoff committee to give them respect and stuff like that, so they're going to – they're always going to be talking about the teams on their schedule, but I mean, we know the truth. We know that Jimbo is all lip service at Florida State, and um, he's having to live live through it now. Coach is going to coach, which then I got you, Holt. Well, um, let's just set the lineup. Uh, so this is a new new year, new us, new podcast. We're excited for year two. We just had a uh, a come to Jesus talk about how much better we're going to make year two than year one for not only the Slow Smoke podcast, but also the slow smoke twitter so we're pretty excited about that i'm actually actually am excited about that. i don't know if uh whole smash and mr jb brooks are as excited as i am but i think they are i think they're all we're all pretty excited about the new content the more consistent content we're going to put out there but we're going to do consistent wednesday and sunday podcasts um as per usual like last year but we're going to probably try to do some more themes this year for twitter and for um, our podcast a little bit more structured is the keyword we're, we're looking for. But this podcast, we're gonna we're gonna talk about the the games this this week and what's going on around the SEC. We'll do a little bit of pick them and anything else that's going on our uh, going on in the SEC world as well as some food uh, food topics. Which right now the hot food topic of the week, besides attacking the proper way to attack a buffet, is what hold you know. Because I know this is a trick question. This is more of a rhetorical question, but I'm just seeing if either Holt or JB know, knows the uh, hot topic for food right now. Uh, are you talking about Popeyes? That's exactly what I'm talking about. Have you tried the Popeyes chicken sandwich, JB? I have not, and neither has Holt. Although he and I have made multiple attempts to try it, and uh, we were both not successful. JB, I got, I got another question for you. How does a chicken place run out of chicken? That's a good ass question, but uh, you know that's above above my pay grade yeah. to answer that. But that's really just incompetence from the corporate level when you don't have enough chicken, and then you have to suspend operations on making that said you know chicken entree until October. JB is very uh, upset about this, and I can't really blame him. I'm passionate about my chicken sandwiches as well, and from what I understand, it's actually not the chicken breast; it's actually the buns that they ran out of. Oh wow, that's, uh, that's a you just nice little burger. Yeah, all you got to do is just run to your nearest Kroger, Publix, or whatever supermarket you got in your city and just buy, the, you know, the Blue Bunny buns and just throw it on that. Get your shit together is what we're saying, Popeyes, because there's some people out there who want some chicken sandwiches. But I don't know. I don't know if it's uh, – the juice is worth the squeeze, JB. Um, what I'll ask you, Holt, is how many Chick-fil-A's do you think you've been to in your life now? And I'm not going to say your, your 30, 40 years of life. I'm just going to say in your life. Like different – Chick-fil-A locations, or how many yes. times I've been to a Chick-fil-A? Well, I'm thinking more of locations. Okay, well, let's see. I've been to, I think about all the places I've lived. I've been to one in Chicago. I've been to, let's see, I've been to three, I believe, in the Memphis area. No, four in the Memphis area. Um, I've been to two in the Jackson, Mississippi area. One in the Rome, Georgia area. Um, I'm not sure how many if I've ever actually been to Chick-fil-A in Atlanta. Um, I'm sure I have, but I can't think of one. And then I've been to the one in Destin. So I may be missing one, but I believe that's what? One, three, four, eight, nine. So I don't know. It's gotta be, it's gotta be like 10, probably nine or 10, but I feel like it's probably more than I'm probably forgetting one. Yeah. Oh, well, Starville, Starville. I forgot about Starville. That'd be 11. Where else have I lived? And I lived all over the place. I add a couple more because you're probably missing a couple too. So we'd say like around ten to fifteen, maybe closer to twenty. That's I think I'm I'm probably closer to twenty because um, there's so many in Atlanta. I've been to a lot of different. Oh, actually, but there's there's two in Destin I've been to. Okay, the that's the point of the point of the question is just 
to move along with this. So just follow, follow me here for a second, Holt. So you've been to more than 10, 10 Chick-fil-A's. Maybe we'll just say 15 Chick-fil-A's. Out of all the 15 Chick-fil-A's you've been to. I've been, been to one in my- <laughs> this is this getting This is getting pretty wild now, Holt. No, I'm just keep bringing them up as they come to me. You're starting to talk. You're sounding, sounding like Forrest when he talks about uh, the shrimp. Shrimp potatoes, shrimp. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, wait, the Chick-fil-A star grill. I want it in Chicago. All right. So out of the 15 Chick-fil-A's you've been to, Holt, in your life, or maybe 20, as we keep talking here, have you ever been a Chick-fil-A that's run out of chicken? Um, no, but I will say, and JB can attest to this, I really do think that Popeye's has Chick-fil-A shook a little bit because we tried to order some food from there yesterday uh, after we realized Popeye's was out of sandwiches, and uh, they actually messed up our order not once, not twice, but three times. Did you get that furry, though? No, well, we did get a free sandwich yeah. um, out of it. Because the second, because when they gave us the wrong one, they let us keep it. But that was, was it. But like we asked for spicy with pepper jack and, and extra pickles. And the first time they just didn't give us the sandwich. And then the second time they gave us uh, American cheese with bacon. And then they let us keep that. The third time they gave us pepper jack with no pickles, right? Yeah. So, but well, anyway, it's all good. So- it's all at Chick-fil-A. It was good. So just maybe maybe one where they mess up your orders just slightly, but they'll still give you a free chicken sandwich. Have they ever not said my pleasure after you saying thank you? I don't believe so. And one thing that um, I can tell you now uh, that I've noticed is that they all have to wear. Um, you may notice this when you visit your local Chick-fil-A, but the floors there look very slippery. Uh, but all the Chick-fil-A workers actually have to wear special um, slip resistant footwear. Did you know that? Did not. You learn something new every day. Educational. We need yeah. to put our podcast in the educational session too, because we're we're really not only can you learn about Chick Fil A staff attire, but you can also learn about the buffet um, attacking position. I guess I don't know, but um, the point I'm making here is told. You've been a, been a shit ton of Chick Fil A's. They've never run out of chicken. They never don't say my pleasure after you say thank you, and the chicken probably tastes. As, just as good as at any of the Chick Fil A's, right? Whole generally, I would say. Generally, yeah. Um, I would say that the Chick Fil A in Floyd, Mississippi, is probably my least favorite of all the ones I've ever been to. But other than that, they are. I mean, they all are pretty good. So the Chick Fil A's never run out of chicken. So your my point is, Chick Fil A, out of all the times you've been, have, has never run out of chicken, and it's always been consistently good. It always lines out the out to the road, or like the, the drive through is always long. I've never been to a Chick Fil A that's like just at lunchtime that doesn't have a long line. However, JB, I'm gonna switch over to you. Now, people people can maybe understand that to some point how Popeyes can run out of the chicken sandwiches because it's just gone viral on the internet and everybody's everybody's making a big deal about the chicken sandwiches. But prior to this chicken sandwich release, JB, have you ever been to a Popeyes and they've run out of just regular old fried chicken? I have actually. Uh, the Collierville location where I grew up um, ran out of chicken one day when I went there and ended up having to uh, go to KFC instead. But you know, you take your losses where you have them. But I'm saying that's that was just one example. But I'm sure it's happened more than that one time. Or maybe not. Ah. I'll just I'll summarize my point here is that Popeyes yeah, has please do. Of, they've run out of chicken more than one one time before this whole chicken sandwich craze because I've been to I've been to Popeyes multiple times where they made me wait like 20 minutes for chicken and it just doesn't make sense how a chicken place can run out of chicken that's all I'm gonna say about that you should try the the uh, chicken sandwich when you get a chance though yeah but, well I mean I definitely like it want to. Um, it's definitely not for a lack of trying. Um, I've been like two times and I was going to go a third time before I found out that they had discontinued it. So, but they said it should be back in like five weeks. So I don't know much about marketing, but I know that, um, you know, they pretty much made a shit ton of, uh, or they got a shit ton of ad value from Twitter, uh, from what I understand. So yeah, it's definitely pretty good. Uh, people are going to be jonesing. You know, these five weeks are going to be a kind of a struggle. So I'm sure when yeah. it comes back, it's going to be another huge craze again. 
Well, not to go on too much longer because we're, we're about to talk about football because that's kind of the point of the podcast here. But um, the I learned today that the chicken sandwich it was did not just come out like last month. It's actually been out all year. It's just just recently people have made a big deal about it, and I, I don't even think Popeyes has really marketed it. I think some comedian put posted a video on YouTube that went viral, and then it's just taken off since then. So I don't think it's something recent. I mean, it's something that's gone viral recent, but it's not something that hasn't been there for a while. So it's been there for a while, but just people are making a big deal about it now. However, we're here to talk about football, Holt, and there are a shit ton of games, and um, I know which game I'm most excited about, but I want to ask each of you independently which game you're most excited about. So let's start with you, Holt. Uh, I mean, for the whole weekend, um, I mean, that's really tough. I mean, obviously, besides the Mississippi State game, because I'm a Mississippi State fan, for those of you who don't know, um, I mean, honestly, I mean, I think it's got to be Auburn and Oregon. I mean, that's that's really like the one matchup you look at and you're just like, you know, this is a chance to be a really good game. I think it could really go either way. You know, Justin Herbert is really highly regarded. Probably could have been one of the top quarterbacks in the draft last year if he had decided to go pro. Um, he comes back. Mario Cristobal has a really highly ranked recruiting class coming in, the best in the Pac-12. Um, he's really, you know, changing the culture there a little bit. And, um, you know, maybe you got – a little bit of a raw deal on his time at um, FIU and kind of getting pushed out the door there um, a little bit sooner than he should have been. So uh, it'll be, you know, it's kind of an exciting game. Uh, you know, obviously Gus Muslin's in the hot seat, and then we got Bo Nix starting his first game as a true freshman. So there's a lot of storylines going into that game, and I'm really excited to uh, to kind of see, um, see what that game looks like. JD, tell me about a game that not everybody's talking about as much as they should be, but it's going to be probably a pretty exciting game. Yeah, like uh, I agree with Holt. Oregon-Auburn is an exciting matchup. But I'm going to give you an under-the-radar matchup. That's exciting, too. Um, I'm really excited. Sorry. Xavier, are you okay? Xavier's <laughs> over here, like, just dying. I don't know what's going on. Like, nothing even happened. I know, like. Maybe it's not really it's not really a laughing matter, but uh, this game, Ole Miss Memphis, to me is the under the radar game that uh, people need to really pay attention to because people that don't really know this rivalry well, uh, these are two schools that are about an hour apart from one another, and uh, <clears throat> Memphis is actually the favorite going into this game. They're a six point favorite, I believe, last I saw on Vegas lines, and uh, this is a really critical game for Ole Miss, and I. I would say this is probably the first time I can remember in this series that I think the game is more important to Ole Miss than it is to Memphis because, yeah, yeah, it's a big game for Memphis. It always is when they play the opponent at home. But let, if you look at Ole Miss's schedule, uh, they cannot afford to lose this game. Like, to me, I don't even see a path for Ole Miss to make it to a bowl if they lose their opener against Memphis. So that means they're going to have to uh, run the table like the, the other non-conference game, and they're going to have to steal uh, – I think three conference games in order to uh, make it to a bowl, which is really going to be a tall task. But here's another scenario. If Ole Miss were to open up and lose to Memphis, that makes Arkansas the very next week a must win. And if they lose like the first two games to start the season in a worst case scenario, uh, the wheels could come off pretty quickly. in Arkansas. So I think this game is really crucial for Ole Miss. And I'm excited to watch a uh, Memphis matchup against Ole Miss too. So this, this is the under the radar matchup that I'm most excited about. Hold me and JB were texting independently of you. Sorry, not to include you for once um, about this Ole Miss Memphis game earlier today, and I think we were texting about it maybe the other day as well. But what I was telling him, or the point I was making, um, besides what JB just said, is that this is almost like a lose lose game for Ole Miss because if they beat Memphis, then they are an SEC team playing a group of five teams, so they were supposed to win. But if they lose the game, then they lose to an inferior non-power five team. So really, they like they can't win even if they do win. That's that's kind of how I see it. Um, am I Is my logic wrong there, Holt? Well, I mean, I think from a fan base perspective, there definitely is something to gain. Um, I think maybe like nationally, like I don't think you know, I don't think some, like, Ohio State fan or Alabama fan or, you know, LSU fan or, you know, Texas fan, whatever, is going to really care if Ole Miss wins this game. But I think to Ole Miss fans and to, like, you know, the people in this area, like, this is, like, a huge game, and it's definitely a must-win. And as JB said, um, 
you know, and if Ole Miss is going to win this game, they're really going to have to show something on defense. Um, you know, I, I just think they can't let Memphis just run the ball right down their throat. You know, like Memphis was one of the better rushing teams in the country last year. And, you know, they do lose a couple of really good running backs, but, you know, they return one as well, whose name just totally – Patrick Taylor. Yeah, so he, he was a really good player last year as well, and he was in the rotation uh, with all those guys who they lost to the NFL last year as well. So, you know, if they just let Memphis run the ball right down the throat, then it's going to be a long game. They're going to have to stop the run. And, um, you know, basically to answer your question, though, like this is definitely a huge game uh, locally. Maybe not nationally, but I definitely think that people – you know, in this area is, you know, it's definitely a huge game for perception and kind of, you know, if Ole Miss is basically moving in the right direction or if they're kind of completely going to bottom out this year. And that is an early 11 a.m. kickoff time. JB, is there a worse time to play a football game than 11 a.m. on a Saturday morning? Absolutely not. Uh, I've been a huge proponent of 11 a.m. games, and I wish that eventually they can be outlawed to where they don't start that early, at least in the central time zone, because you think about it, that's the start of a uh, peewee game, you know, for most for most people. And to me, it's just like, it's like you wake up, you eat breakfast, and then you watch a football game. Like, that's not exciting to me. And Like, a football game is really an all-day event, and when you have an 11 a.m. game, it completely kills that atmosphere. And also at 11 a.m., like, the students are not going to be as energetic. Uh, the f- fans are going to be a little more lethargic because they just woke up. Or if they did if they did just wake up, they woke up super early, like at 4 or 5 a.m., just to set up their tailgates. So, yeah, I don't like 11 a.m. Ga- games at all. I feel like the best games, to me, at least early in the season, you want to have them at night. And then maybe, you know, once you get to about Halloween, November – you can move games about, you know, 2.30, 3.30 in the afternoon in the peak of day, you know, peak warm, you know, peak uh, peak sun. So, yeah, those are the better times for me. 11 a.m. are just the absolute worst starting times for college football games. However, I will argue, JB, that I, I do agree with you in general. 11 a.m. kickoffs are no, no fun at all. However, the game gets over with at 2, around 2, 2.30. So you could theoretically watch all – the rest of the football for the day as opposed to a game that's in the middle of the day at three or four and you're missing a lot of good football games. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely pros and cons to it, but if I'm attending a game, I'd rather it be a game that I'd rather it be at a time that's, you know, more exciting to me. That's just, that's just the point I'm making. Now, if it's a game that I don't have a rooting interest in, you know, I don't really care that much. If it's a game that I have a rooting interest in, I want it to be at the best possible time to maximize the atmosphere. Holt, what's the proper amount of beer to drink in the pregame for 11 a.m. game? Um, well, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be beer. Um, I would think, but I would definitely say probably at least three and a half drinks deep uh, before kickoff. You know, obviously, you know, you got Bloody Marys, uh, mimosas, screwdrivers. You know, there's all kinds of stuff that might be a little bit more morning friendly, maybe a little bit more uh, brunchy. Um you know, but if you're like me, you know, you're totally fine with drinking Miller Lite at 6 a.m. Uh, um, so uh, I guess it just kind of depends on uh, on what time you're getting up and uh, what time you plan on going to the game. I usually like to head into the game about 45 minutes or an hour before the kickoff. So, you know, probably probably knock down about three and a half, four drinks um, before kickoff, and I'm ready to roll. So does, does that look like you getting a six-pack to for yourself or like a 12 pack to split with a friend how's that look for well, you well see the thing is with the 11 a.m games is uh the best part is being able to come back out after the game and then tailgate all day after the game instead of uh just before like you would for a night game so or even a 230 game so you know you definitely want to go ahead and load up for the whole day and you know just go ahead and get everything set and have everything uh chilling so when you get back uh Everything's nice and cold and ready to go, and you're ready to, you know, keep the party going. Before we preview all the other games or the games that we like, um, another one that um, I want to talk about in a bit, which we will get to, that I'm kind of excited about is the South Carolina-North Carolina game, uh, just because it's – I don't necessarily know if that's a rivalry but game, but it's kind of like it's, you know, a regional game that the two schools aren't too far apart. And it just – I mean, it sounds good. South Carolina versus North Carolina, it's, it's close, I think, relatively – might not be a robbery, but 
I mean, two Power Five schools playing the non-conference thing is gonna be a fun game, especially with Will Muschamp possibly being on the hot seat this year if they don't perform well and having such a tough schedule. So this is this is a game they they he needs to win just to before he gets into the you know the meat of his schedule. So I'm excited for that game. But let's talk about just news around the SEC because I feel like we might forget about that. So a couple headline news. Say we just found out that Dylan Moses, the linebacker for Alabama, um, that I'm assuming is going to be a first round draft, not first round draft pick, but an NFL draft pick. He was like preseason focus. First round, yeah. So he's, I think it was preseason Buckus Award uh, watch list or whatever you want to say. Uh, so he is out with a, I guess, knee injury. I don't know if it's ACL or what exactly it is, but it sounds like he's going to be out for the entire year. Yeah, he's out with a torn ACL. So he's actually on Mel Kuyper's uh, draft board. He was number 13 overall on his draft board. And he was – is he a senior? So he could have gone, come out last year as a junior? Uh, I think he, yeah, he's a senior. Yeah, so that would not be good if he came out as uh, – or if he came back for a senior year and did end up getting hurt. I would not like that. He is um, classified as a junior, though, JP. I'm going to have to correct you real quick. According to Wikipedia, but Wikipedia is not the most accurate. So I will I will get back to you on that to tell you what exactly he is. But um, as soon as my computer loads, I'll tell you. He is, in fact, a junior. So he can, I guess at this point, he would come back for his senior year because I don't know if, what his draft stock would look like after this. But um, kind of... Kind of a um, a downer for the tide. Uh, however, I'm not sure how much this will really affect the tide because I don't know if it was last year or two years ago where they had a bunch of injuries on the defense. Two I years, think it was the. It was two years ago. They had a, a bunch of guys like Sean Dion Hamilton was out uh, and a few other guys. But yeah, like they had a lot of uh, bad bad injuries on their defense, and they didn't get healthy until uh, the college football playoff, and that's when they really got unleashed. Is that the – so two years ago, so they won. Because so, I was thinking about, like, the year the, the defense was supposed to be really, really good. I think that was three years ago when they lost to Clemson. So they lost to Clemson last year, beat, beat Clemson two years ago, and lost to Clemson three years ago. So um, this was two years ago when they beat Clemson, but not the, not the best defense in the world. This was the two uh, um, to, uh, comeback. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and, I, and you know, I just wanted to point out, you know, they also lost Joshua McMillan at the beginning of training camp. So uh, they're going to be relying on uh, two freshmen, Christian Harris and Shane Lee, um, in the middle of that defense. So, I mean, obviously, like, they're, you know, really highly recruited, really talented players. But just having freshmen there, you know, you just never know if they're going to be in the right place and what exactly you're going to get out of them every week. So uh, that's just something to kind of keep an eye on. And, you know, I don't – I think they're going to have a few games to get their feet wet because I don't think, you know, Duke or um, South Carolina is going to be able to really challenge the middle of that defense of Alabama too much. But, you know, maybe once they get a little bit deeper into the schedule, um, that might be a little bit more of an issue when they face some teams that are, you know, a little bit more capable and talented. So that's just something to like look out for. And, you know, definitely a tough injury you feel for Moses. Um, you know, he was obviously like a really highly recruited player coming out of high school and, you know, sucks to see him get hurt um, when he was, you know, primed to have a big season. But are they, again, replacing five stars with five stars? Um, I mean, basically, yes. I mean, I don't know exactly if they were five stars or just high, four stars or what, but supposed to be supposed to be really good. Yeah. I, mean, there... I, mean, I assume that everyone who plays at Alabama could have played, like, anywhere they wanted to. Yeah. Other big news around the SEC – uh, we'll we'll keep it local to both of the, your your teams here. Um, starting with Mississippi State, Holt. Um, I didn't see the tweet, but I think I heard it on news or podcast. Um, Keaton Thompson is officially in the transfer portal. Portal, correct, Holt? Um, yes, he is. Um, there's been like maybe like a little bit of talk that he might stay, but looks like he's going to be um, moving on. Uh, um, Tommy Stevens obviously won the job. And uh, Keaton's looking to move on somewhere else. He was obviously a really highly recruited player coming out of high school, but just isn't really been a fit for Joe Moorhead. Um, you know, obviously, like, they had plenty of opportunities to bring Keaton in last year when Fitzgerald was struggling, and they chose not to. Um, 
you know, they had a perfectly good chance to make him the starter this year and to roll with them. But instead they went after a few grad transfer quarterbacks and were finally able to get one in Tommy Stevens. So I think the writing was kind of on the wall for him. And, you know, they brought in a freshman this year as well, Garrett Schrader, um, who's a highly recruited kid. And um, he's really been practicing well and moved all the way up to second string. So the writing was kind of on the wall for Keaton that, um, you know, basically um, he wasn't the guy from Moorhead. And, you know, I'm not saying that Moorhead doesn't like him, but, you know, it definitely doesn't. If, if you know, if you're following by Moorhead's uh, actions, it definitely appears that he does not have the most faith in Keaton. So he's going to be moving on, and obviously, I wish him the best. He's probably like the most highly recruited quarterback to ever sign with Mississippi State. So I know a lot of Mississippi State fans are kind of upset that it didn't work out, but you know, that's just kind of how college football is nowadays. I did not know he was that highly recruited um, because he his issue has always been accuracy, or at least I that's what I think of it as. But he also hasn't had the most opportunities to throw. So um, we'll, we'll never know what kind of quarterback he could have been at Mississippi State. But um, I think it's kind of understandable why he would transfer. I know a lot of people like to get mad at the transfer portal. And everybody just – so there's a lot of people that think, like, it's quitting on your team for transferring just because you're not playing. But it's almost like you, you kind of have to, like, give yourself the best opportunity to – improve and if you're going to try to get to the next level you're going to have to play so like uh, i mean his options are sit there and try to graduate maybe grad transfer grad transfer somewhere or uh transfer now and save some eligibility while he can yeah yeah and it's a good situation for him too because he actually hasn't been able to redshirt so he could actually transfer to another team and then use his redshirt this season um while he has to sit out for a year and then that way he'll have uh, two years to play at his new school, um, wherever he decides to go to. How confident are you in Tommy Stevens' home? Do you know anything about him? Or I guess you won't, we won't really have an opinion until you see him play. Yeah, I mean, I, you would like to see, um, you know, maybe a little bit more from him so far. I mean, we haven't really seen a lot. It's kind of the same amount we've seen from Keaton. Maybe a little bit more accurate. Um, you know, he's gotten some good reviews. Um from people who saw him at the Manning Passing Academy, I don't know if that really means anything. Um, you know, you can look good in shorts and a T-shirt, you know, in seven-on-seven seven drills, but until you're out there in front of, you know, 75,000 screaming fans and got, you know, 11 overgrown men trying to rip your head off every play, it's kind of hard to see what you're really made of. So, um, you know, it'll be obviously interesting to see. I don't really know what to expect. Um Hoping, obviously, that he does really well, but, you know, he knows Moorhead system really well, so hopefully it'll be a good fit, and um, and uh, I, guess, I guess that answers that. <laughs> that. That's all I have to say about that. It's my favorite quote of all time, but nobody can tell you St. Paul's gone as many as I have. Um, let's switch over, JB, to Tennessee. So, Tennessee, have, I have a couple of comments for them, JB. Uh, the first is I've seen Aubrey Solomon's name pop up on our Slow Smoke timeline quite a bit, and maybe even my own personal timeline quite a bit on Twitter. And on top of that, so that's point one, JB. Point two, so if you can remember this, is Tennessee, I think, plans on starting three five-star offensive linemen, which is um, can be scary, but they also are five-stars. So I don't know how that will work out. But can you comment on both of those, JB? Yeah, Aubrey Solomon being eligible was an absolute gift for Tennessee. Uh, for the longest, it looked like uh, things were kind of uh, dim on that on that front because uh, he was a transfer, five star, former five star recruit, uh, transfer from Michigan, and Jim Harbaugh didn't seem like he was really going above and beyond to try to you know help him you know get that transfer approved. But he finally got his transfer approved uh, yesterday to have it have him have immediate eligibility which is huge for that Tennessee defensive line, which was already uh, thin with experience, to say the least. Uh, it's a pretty talented group that they have for that Tennessee on the defensive line, but they're all young and experienced and not a lot of snaps. Uh, Aubrey Solomon's going to be really a big anchor for them, and getting him after the Emmett Gooden injury was crucial. But also, when we, when we flip it over back to the offensive line, yeah, the three five-stars, two of them are freshmen, uh, Wanya Morris and Darnell Wright. But here's the other story. Uh, Trey Smith just today got approved uh, by medical personnel to play uh, this Saturday against Georgia State in the opener. 
And if you know, if you don't know Trace's story, yeah, last year he was hospitalized with uh, blood clots, and he was in the hospital for a, for a while with uh, blood clots that could have been life threatening if they weren't treated. And uh, a lot of people, including myself, thought he would never play football again. But he is rehabbed for an entire year, uh, dealing with the blood clots and being on blood thinners to try to manage that situation. And uh, it's a really good truce. It's a really good uh, adversity story for him to come back from it. And if you don't remember, he was a former five-star recruit, and uh, he was the first team, I think, All-SEC in the preseason last year. But uh, he's been derailed by injuries um, ever since his freshman year. So I, I, that would be the guy I really want to see have a good year because uh, he has all the talent and the tools in the world to be a, you know, an all-SEC, not just an all-SEC, but an all-American offensive lineman. And hopefully uh, he can stay healthy and put it together this season. Did you see the video of him uh, practicing and him just, like, demolishing a guy, pushing him down? I have, yeah. Like, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's an absolute phenom. Like, he looks like an offensive lineman that belongs on, you know, one of Georgia, Alabama's, you know, stud offensive lines. Like, he, that's, what he, that's what he looks like, like a Georgia off, or, you know, Alabama offensive lineman on another team. Like, he's an absolute stud. I was reading an article or a quote for, on Twitter. Um, and, JB, you're going to have to help me remember this guy's name because I already forgot, uh, which I'm kind of embarrassed. He's an offensive lineman that uh, went to MUS that's at Tennessee now. He was supposed to go to Ole Miss, but went to Tennessee that was like a five-star. Richmond. Yeah, he yeah. doesn't go there anymore. What happened? Yeah, Drew Richmond transferred to USC. As in the Southern. Okay. Well, how would he even get there? Like he's not even that good, right? He probably drove. <laughs> yeah. True. True. Good point. Okay, so that wasn't him. I was it's not like you have recruits that anymore. I mean, Clay Helton's kind of it's not it's not like you know, Pete Carroll here where they're just yeah. signing everybody they want, you know, west of the Mississippi River. I mean, they, you know, they're pretty much taking whoever they can get now. I remember we were, I was watching a college football live once upon a time um, back in the Pete Carroll days at USC. And I think it was when they were recruiting, uh, God, what's his name? Joe something from Louisiana. Yeah, Joe McKnight. And he was going to go to USC and they were saying on, they were saying on College Football Live that you know USC doesn't recruit; they just they pick or they select who they want. That's uh, just it's funny how, given that at that time looking at it now, it's like doesn't even make sense. That's a completely different USC team now, different recruiting altogether now. Like that sounds like Alabama or Georgia or Clemson now, but not USC. Yeah, and uh, got to give an RIP to uh, Joe McKnight, great player, yeah. and uh, definitely left us a little too soon. So shout out to Joe McKnight. True that, true that. All right, let's talk about some more football games. Any other SEC news that I miss? I mean, we can talk about the – I don't think – I think this is more non-news than news, but um, Alabama just has been Najee Harris and the other running back that's not as important as Najee Harris for the first half against Duke. And I don't even know what it was. Probably some kind of team rules. Probably, you know, missed curfew by a minute or didn't eat – didn't like eat one too many corners. <laughs> cornbread biscuits or something for Nick Saban. So he decided to suspend them, but um, they are suspended for the first half against Duke. So not really big news, but I guess news nonetheless. Um, the other one, we've also got uh, Florida, uh, not just Florida, you know, they had a few uh, missed, uh, suspended starters as well uh, from the previous, from the first game against Miami. Also at Mississippi State, uh, Joe Moorhead has not announced the guys that are going to be suspended for the opener yet. I think those are not even going to be announced until, I think, game day. Uh, maybe Hulk could clarify, but they've got a few, uh, not starters, but a few guys that are going to be announced on game day that won't be eligible, that won't be playing that game, that'll be suspended. Yeah, there's going to be, uh, I believe it's 10 players suspended for um, eight games each, but I believe that Mississippi State is allowed to decide which eight games they are. So it'll be kind of interesting to see how they play that. I think only two of them are regulars. Uh, I think most of them are more depth guys, but still one of those things that's going to hurt a little bit. So hate to see it. Um, looks like they were letting some tutors uh, take some tests for them. And I was actually telling, uh, I was telling, uh, I think it was my roommate Dalton. I was telling this earlier that like they actually got caught. It was actually a basketball player who got caught. And the way he got caught is that the uh, tutor was taking a test for him while he was playing in a game. And the professor put two and two together, and uh, the 
that's that's uh, how that's how they initially got caught. So, not the smartest. Um, definitely kind of a dumb decision, and uh, they're going to be paying the price for that now. <laughs> it's it's funny they're not getting any bold bold bands or anything like that, and it just makes you wonder why Missouri got hit with a hammer more so than Mississippi State. Uh, well, from what I understand, the, uh, Missouri Tutor was actually like a university employee. And the Mississippi State one was just like a part-time student teacher, not like uh, not actually employed by the athletic department. So I think that is the reason why, um, just from what I understand. But I'm not really gonna pretend like I understand anything that the NCAA does. No, I don't think anybody does. Let's uh, let's cover the SEC games first, and then we'll do some national games that we're excited about as well. Um, I don't know if we're going to go – I don't want to necessarily go in order because I want to make sure we cover the um, more debated games uh, than the other ones. So let's start with some some games. Let's just start with um, – we'll, we'll definitely talk about Oregon-Auburn. But let's talk about some – let's talk about Georgia-Vanderbilt because that is the true SEC game that we haven't mentioned yet. Um, Georgia is a 22-point favorite. I mean, I think this is something that's probably not going to be need to expand upon. But um, Georgia is a heavy favorite here. It's, it is at Vanderbilt, and Derek Mason, um, I feel like, is always fighting for his life there at Vanderbilt. But um, they didn't have a bad year last year. So um, I'll just ask you, JB, and then hold if you want to comment, you can. Is this a game that you'll be tuning into? I mean, it's, it's 6.30 Central Time game, so it's the same time as Oregon and Auburn. So I would imagine you'd flip to maybe this game during the commercials. Yeah, we'll be watching a lot of this game, uh Georgia is bringing a huge contingent to Nashville for this game, too. According to Vivid Seats, uh, Georgia is supposed to have 69% of the tickets sold from Vivid Seats uh, at that game. So that's a really large Georgia contingent. I mean, that's pretty much for every Vanderbilt home game. It's always a visiting crowd that has more fans. Uh, <laughs> plus, Nashville is an awesome city to travel to as well. But it always turns into a home game for whichever visiting team that's playing there. But I, I'm excited about this one. I really want to see how this Georgia offense looks under Coley as the offensive coordinator. And I want to see how Vanderbilt uh, regroups from the losses that they had from last year. If you remember, they had lost over 20 seniors from their team last year. They were a really senior-laden team. So I want to see how they respond. Yeah, it's going to be a nice crowd for Georgia. Georgia fans, um, as most of SEC fans, are pretty uh, passionate, and they do travel. I, I do remember the playoff game against – um, I want to say Oklahoma, maybe two years ago in San Francisco. Um, they kind of took over San Francisco, uh, which is really far to travel, but it was just a, a sea of red there. I, I think it was Oklahoma. I don't know. Y'all might have corrected me if I'm wrong in that playoff game a couple years ago. Um, but yeah, I think it was. It was Oklahoma, and it was just kind of crazy how they took over um, the stadium so far away. But I mean, it was a playoff game, so I can kind of understand. Um, Hold on, unless you have any major comments, I kind of want to speed things up just a little bit here. Um, so I want to talk about another game. Probably talk about Duke, Alabama for a little bit. So what you got for me, Hold about Duke, Alabama? Yeah, I don't know who is going to be the running back for Alabama in this game. I think they're all either suspended or hurt. But uh, I think Tua is going to throw the ball around. And, um, you know, I mean, you got to give David Cullough some credit. Um, I think he'll come up with a pretty solid game plan and keep this game – respectable, at least for the first half or maybe even the first three quarters. But um, Alabama's just got way more talent, and um, I expect them to win this game uh, fairly easily. Are you going to be a betting man for Alabama this year or this week? Um, no. I either bet on Alabama or I don't bet. On, or I, don't bet. I don't bet against them. Okay. And that line is pretty – I think the line is like 35, and that's just – that's too much for me. I'm not betting that, but – at the same time, I'm just I'm not betting against Alabama. I'm just not doing it. The line is 33 and a half. You're pretty close there, Hold. It is it's tough. The good news is that uh, in Memphis, y'all probably won't be able to watch this with the, the game beyond the ABC, <laughs> which kind of sucks for y'all. Um, they need to figure that out, which I thought they would by now, but I guess they haven't yet. We, uh, we got our ways. We'll be able to watch it. We have our little way that we'll be able to watch it, though. I'm proud, proud of y'all for finessing the system. So... Yeah. Easy win for Alabama, easy win for Georgia. Let's get to more contentious games, Holt and JB. Let's talk about the South Carolina-North Carolina game because this one is a little bit lower line. South Carolina by 10. Um, 
this is Mac Brown's first year at North Carolina with much champs on the hot seat. So you would think uh, it's going to take a little bit for Mac Brown to get things going at North Carolina if he ever does again. Um, he's also very old. I'm just not big on Mac Brown at this age in his life for North Carolina, but I guess they hired him for a reason. Um, you see this game being more competitive than it should be because uh, Will Muschamp plays very ugly style of football, JB? Yeah, like I, these two teams, like, uh, you know, a lot of these recruits are, are pretty familiar with each other in North Carolina, South Carolina, both being uh, border states and meeting in Charlotte, which is about e- almost equal distance between uh, uh, Chapel Hill and Columbia, South Carolina. So I think this it's going to be a really interesting game for me. And the way Muschamp seems like they don't blow out a lot of teams. They play a lot of close games. And uh, this North Carolina team, I think I saw the over-under for them for wins this year. Win total is like 5 or 5.5. And it's similar to South Carolina, which is currently sitting at 5.5 in Vegas. But I, I like uh, – I think South Carolina definitely has more of the talent advantage. But uh, with this game being kind of a border war, I don't count out North Carolina. I think a 10-point line is just about right. I might actually lower it just a little bit because, like I said, South Carolina doesn't really blow out a lot of teams. So this is definitely one to keep an eye on. Is this Jake Bentley's year, JB? You know, I said that last year that it was going to be his year, but he seems to slowly have regressed over the course of his career. But – I mean, he's got to he's got to put up this year, especially with a tough schedule, and which makes the North Carolina game even more important because if if they somehow get upset by North North Carolina, you could almost say there may not even be a path before South Carolina to make a bowl too. You are right about that. Let's uh, switch over to the SEC game of the week, just so we make sure we can cover this, which is the Oregon Auburn game at six thirty Central. By the way, little side note here: there are. Four SEC games at the exact same time at 6.30 Central Time, 7.30 Eastern. I do not like how this is working out. Luckily for us, like none of the other games are should be as close as the Oregon-Auburn game, but does this not piss you off all that somebody decided to schedule all these games at the same time? I mean, independently, I guess. Yeah, well, that's usually how it goes. You know, it waits so long for college football to get here, and they just want to put all the games on at the same time. But it's good, though. We're going to get a couple of TVs set up in here and you know, maybe some other mobile streaming devices and uh, see what we can't figure out. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, it should be, I guess, you know, kind of fun to be able to flip around. I'm sure one of these games is going to not be all that exciting, and then we'll be able to concentrate on our two of them. But, as far as the Auburn-Oregon game goes, I mean, I'm just really interested to see Bo Nix. I mean, that's really the main thing I'm looking at. I think Auburn um, is going to be good enough on defense to slow down Oregon's offense. And, and um, I think it's really just going to come down to how well Auburn's offense is able to perform in this game. Um, you know, on one hand, Bo Nix is a true freshman starting his first game. But at the same time, Oregon has no idea how Gus Malzahn is going to use Bo Nix, how this offense is going to look this year. They really have nothing to go off of. And, and um, you know, obviously uh, – Booby Willow's back this year, running back, and he's going to be a big part of it. So, you know, they've also got some really talented receivers. So, um, I think that uh, maybe Auburn has a little bit of an advantage almost because uh, Oregon doesn't really have any idea how they're going to use the Knicks and what uh, he's comfortable doing. So, uh, they don't really have, a, you know, like a game plan to go after him that they've been able to study on film or whatever. So, you know, maybe that can be a little bit of an advantage, but, you know, at the same time, it is a true freshman quarterback in his first game. So, um, you know, it's going to be really uh, interesting to see how uh, Nix is able to play in that first start. Is Justin Herbert overrated? It seems like to me this year that there's not like a true number one quarterback that's going to come out uh, to the draft. I mean, next year you get Trevor Lawrence and Tua. Uh, although, yeah. Trevor Lawrence, uh, can two, I guess two could know. technically come. Two could, two could come I, would sure. think, Excuse me. I would think this year's class, uh, you would probably have uh, Herbert, Tua, and Fromm near the top of that class, you know, for this year. Assuming that Tua and Fromm, uh, you know, forego their senior season and enter the draft. But I would say those three are probably going to be three most that are going to be talked about, you know, for draft prospects. But Holt, like I was saying, um, I just I'm not as high on Herbert as the NFL mock draft is. Well, um, I don't. I'm not gonna sit here and act like I've watched every Oregon game last year, but 
Um, the ones that I did see, Herbert played really well, and he's definitely got a really electric arm. Um, and, and I, you know, he's, he's big and tall, and he's just got all the measurables and stuff like that that NFL scouts look for. So, I mean, you know, I mean, maybe I would like to see him lead his team to to more victories. Um, at the end of the day, that's kind of what it comes down to. And, um, you know, he definitely, you know, as talented as he was last year, uh, I still have some questions, you know, regarding, you know, whether or not he can, you know, make that big drive at the end of the game or, you know, make that big pass on like a big third down. Um, you know, I mean, those are kind of the things like I'm looking for because all the intangibles are there, all this, you know, the skill set is there. You know, you just want to see him go put it all together and, uh, you know, be able to get a big win. Was is this game more exciting than the Auburn Washington game last year to kick off the year? I think so. Yeah, I mean, I, last year, um, you know, obviously Washington was pretty hyped going into the season, but a little bit more of a boring game, and Jake Browning kind of regressed a little bit over his career. You know, I think Justin Herbert is kind of going in the opposite direction, so. I think he's going to be able to challenge Auburn's defense a little bit more through the air than uh, Browning was to last year. And then, you know, obviously, Bo Nix starting his first game, you know, is also exciting. You know, Gus Malzahn is always able to uh, work magic with those first-year quarterbacks that are not named Jeremy Johnson. Do you think there's a chance we'll see Joey Gatewood? Uh, I mean, I, I would think so. I mean, maybe even in, like, some short yardage situations, I could see them bringing him in because he's just such a big guy. But, you know, I'm really not sure. They, they may just decide, like, you know, Nix is our guy and we're not going to mess with it. We're just going to leave him out there and let him, you know, uh, let him get yeah. those reps. But we'll yeah. have to see him. And Gus has a quick trigger to uh, change quarterbacks, too, out of win. He's got that, like, Steve Spurrier gene where he'll uh, switch quarterbacks, uh, you know, after one bad play. If you remember a few years ago when they played Clemson in the season, he played three quarterbacks in their opening uh game one of them including uh john franklin who was featured on last chance you but that's just an example with malzahn i i, I would say it's a pretty good chance that gatewood is going to see some snaps in this game i hope so because i like seeing both quarterbacks so i i can actually have an opinion on both and who should be the starter as opposed to just going off of um practice reports so i hope we can see both uh both are supposed to be really talented um i see you mm, I guess I'll ask you, JB. Um, we got two games here that I'm going to talk about very briefly that should be easy wins for the SEC team. We have Georgia Southern at LSU, and we have Toledo at Kentucky. Uh, both Kentucky and LSU are favored. Which team is more likely to hit the over between Kentucky and LSU? Kentucky is a 11.5-point favorite over Toledo, and uh, LSU is a 27.5-point favorite over Georgia Southern. Uh, um, I'll have to go with uh, Kentucky here at 11. Although I, I would say between these two games, uh, the one I'd be more concerned with would be Kentucky against Toledo. Uh, just those kind of games that uh, Mark Stoops has, like they, they sometimes struggle against these kind of teams. Uh, you know, from the MAC uh, last year, they struggled against another MAC opponent. Uh, you know, it was close for most of the game before they pulled out, pulled away in the end. And um, this Kentucky team is really. Uh, you know, it's in it's it's in a slight rebuild this year compared to what they had last year. I mean, I still think this Kentucky team is a bold team, but um, they're gonna they're definitely gonna regress a little bit this year just based off how many guys they lost from last year. But Mark Stoops has definitely built a consistent program. But I I, I like them to uh, to cover against Toledo, but I wouldn't be surprised if Toledo keeps us close for a while. Oh, would you take the over for both games? Like, are you saying I would take? the SEC team to cover the spread? Correct. Okay. Because, okay, it sounded like you, I wasn't sure you were talking about that or talking about, like, the over-under for, like, the point total. But, yeah, no, nice. I mean, me. yeah, I mean, I, I, I would, um, you know, especially with Kentucky, I mean, 11 points just isn't very much. I know Kentucky does tend to mess around with uh, some non-power five teams when they play, but, you know, I, I feel like 11 points they should be able to cover. Um and then as far as LSU goes, I mean, you said 28 and a half, I believe. So, I mean, that's pretty – that's about right. Um, you know, it just all depends on LSU's offense because I think LSU's defense is going to, you know, obviously be locked down pretty much all season. Um, just a real question is how explosive can that offense be, um, you know, with uh, Joe Burrow in year two and that talented group of receivers. 
Well, it's funny. Both of y'all mentioned, I guess both of y'all are like really confident in LSU this year, which I mean, I can understand because everybody is. Uh, I'm not as confident in LSU and both Toledo and Georgia Southern. Maybe this is me sticking out for the group of five here, but Toledo won seven games last year in the MAC, which isn't anything special. And Kentucky's on a rebuild. So, like, you could, I don't know what Toledo's outlook is this year either, but you could argue that Kentucky's going backwards from last year and Toledo might push up over seven wins this year. So, it might make them a little bit more even while the line is 11 and a half. And both of you talked about Mark Stoops uh, messing around with uh, inferior teams like Toledo. However, uh, the thing that sticks out in my mind is LSU losing to Troy a few years ago, and Georgia Southern won like 10 or 11 games last year. So um, I think LSU should certainly beat Georgia Southern pretty easily, but I just think it 27 points seems a little bit high for LSU and Georgia Southern, given how good Georgia Southern was last year. But that's just me. Yeah, that's just you. Yeah. Let's talk about JB's favorite game of the week, which is the Ole Miss-Memphis game. And, you know, I've actually reserved my uh, fandom here for the Tigers the entire podcast. I usually try to mention Memphis in every single podcast, and I haven't really mentioned Memphis as much in this podcast, which should be a legitimate reason to talk about them. So I'm kind of proud of myself because um, I'm letting JB talk about the Tigers here. JB, between Ole Miss and Memphis, we know both of the offenses should be good. Is Memphis's defense is going to be better than Ole Miss's this year when they're returning more starters, even though Memphis is notoriously bad on defense? Uh, I mean, I think there's a good chance it will be. Uh, Memphis has a lot of experience on their defense, and they also have one of the most highly sought-after up-and-coming defensive coordinators in the country, too. So that's really intriguing to me. I mean, obviously, um, you know, Ole Miss has a former Power 5 head coach uh, leading its defense, and their defense can't get any worse than it was last year when it was ranked in, you know, well over 100, you know, in total yards and, and also points scored. But I think Memphis's defense is, you know, more, more experienced. There's a lot of seniors and they're starting lineup. Most, I think it's pretty much all seniors and juniors in their starting lineup, which is, you know, bodes pretty well for them. But this game to me is going to be a really high-scoring game. It's going to be a shootout. But I, I, I'd lean more to uh, Memphis's offense more than Ole Miss's defense. And I think that – or Memphis's offense, Ole Miss's offense, excuse me. And I think both defenses for both teams, there's kind of like a draw between both of them. It's a push. But I, I, I give Memphis the edge being at home here. Uh, just, But I, I, Ole Miss definitely has a little bit more talent. But I just don't know if it's going to come together in time for this game. And also, Mike Norvell is – has really had a consistent program since he took over for Justin Fuente, and he's and you you can make the argument that he's even elevated it a little bit too. And and to me, there's a, these are two programs going in opposite directions. Uh, Ole Miss is kind of on a downswing, and Memphis is kind of on an upswing this year. Hope, can you take a guess at what the over under for this game is? Um, I actually have not seen. Um, if I had to guess, I would say like right around. Don't tell me, Jimmy. Um, I would say low 70s, maybe like 72, 73. Close. 67 and a half. And, you know, it's kind of amazes me that I think if you're a pretty big fan or just pretty good fan of college football, I feel like most fans have a good sense of what the line is going to be around. Like if, if, I, if I close my eyes, I would probably say something around 72, 70 also. And, you know, 67 and a half, 70, that's not far off. I just I think it's kind of cool how – Fans have a good sense of what the over/under line could be and what the uh, and what the actual line could be. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess it does make sense because you know usually maybe defenses are a little bit ahead of the offenses early in the season, so um, there's always that potential that one offense just can't quite figure out what they're doing um, early in this game. So you know, and obviously both defenses are going to be healthy. So you know, I mean, I could see you know why it might be a little bit lower than that. Uh, but, you know, either way, neither one of these teams is, you know, very big on playing defense, and both offenses have generally been able to score pretty well. I think uh, taking the over and Ole Miss games the past, like, three or four years has been a pretty good moneymaker for a lot of people. Are you excited about Matt Corral, if that's if that's his name, if I said it right? I feel like I always mess people's names up. Hope. Yeah, especially Ole Miss quarterbacks. But, uh, no, I think uh, I think Corral is a is – a, a really good player from what we've seen so far. Um, 
Obviously, he play, only played four games last year, so he was able to retain that red shirt. Uh, but he's a very explosive uh, passer. Um, is really able to throw the ball down the field well and you know accurately. Um, really strong, uh, uh, strong arm as well. And uh, actually was able to run the ball pretty well last season. It'll be interesting to see how uh, Rich Rodriguez tries to use them. He definitely uh, prefers to, you know, have the running quarterbacks. But, you know, I don't know if he's ever had a quarterback that could throw the ball as well as Corral. So it'll be interesting to see what this offense looks like with, uh, you know, another group of talented receivers. You know, I don't know if they have an A.J. Brown or a D.K. Metcalf in this group. But they've got some really talented guys, you know, Elijah Moore and um, Edwards as well are some really talented receivers. So, you know, I definitely consider that a position of strength. And they've actually got two really good running backs as well. Um, Scotty. Jaron Ela coming in as a freshman. And then Scotty Phillips, uh, Alex's favorite, um, <laughs> is back again this season. So definitely a pretty solid one-two punch, you have to think, from that uh, from that running back group. I hate to lump games together, but I also don't want to take two hours talking about the SEC games when we still have national games to cover for a little bit. But let's talk about the Mississippi State-Louisiana game, the Tennessee-Georgia State, Arkansas-Portland State. All these should be relatively easy wins for the SEC team. Um, out of these three games, the most important thing, I think they all have a consistent theme of what the home fans would like to see or watch or what they're, what they're looking for. And I think that's all going to be centered around the quarterback play. For Arkansas, you want to see, uh, obviously, progression in year two for Chad Moores, and he just recently named Ben Hicks the um, SMU grad transfer quarterback, uh, the starting quarterback, which he actually coached at SMU. Uh, Tennessee, you could probably argue a little more than just the quarterback because you've seen Garantano play, but you still want to see him take the next step forward. And with Mississippi State, you want to see um, the non-Keaton Thompson quarterback, hold, but I can't think of his name right now. Um, you want to see him. Tommy Stevens, Tommy Stevens, I got it. Um, you'll see how he does um, as a grad transfer from Penn State um, under Joe Moorhead, who's, I guess, more of his like prototypical type of quarterback. Um, let's just kind of lump all these together and just talk freely about these three games. Um, start with you, JB, because I feel like you have something to say about Tennessee as well. Well, the main thing that I think Tennessee fans are going to be looking for in this game is uh, trench play. Uh, they want to see the offensive line uh, generate a push and get the running game going. Uh, Tennessee knows that the passing game, I think, can be pretty good as long as Garantano gets enough pass protection because he's got a really great group of receivers to work with. So you really need the offensive line uh, move forward and be able to generate a push and be able to pass protect. And they want to see the defensive line be able to, uh, you know, stop the running and be able to get to the quarterback. Because if you can't do that against Georgia State, it's not going to really bode well for their future in the SEC play. Holtz, what you got for me for if you do want to talk about Arkansas, you can now, or Mississippi State, Louisiana. What are you watching for in these games? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much what you said. Um, you know, I between those three games, you know, I think Tennessee, it's more based on like the running game and them getting the running game going on offense. But for, for State and Arkansas, I think you just really want to see really any progress in the offensive side of the ball uh, for both teams. Uh, both coaches came into a situation where the personnel didn't really fit their style of coaching and, and uh, really showed last year. Um, but now both guys have had an opportunity to bring in some players, including some former quarterbacks that they coached and, uh, you know, we're able to bring in some talented receivers as well, especially at Arkansas. So it'll be interesting to see um, how those offenses come together. And um, you really, I think both fan bases just really want to see um, some progress in the offense side of the ball. So, you know, they kind of know that their coaches are, you know, doing what they were brought in to do, which is turn those offenses around and, uh, you know, put up some points uh, this season. A couple questions for you. Question number one, uh, why is Missouri traveling to Wyoming to play? Question two, why is Missouri only favored by 18 points against Wyoming? Um, well, the first question would be because a lot of teams are, especially like lower level, not, I mean, not lower level, uh, power five teams, but I guess like more mid mid tier power five teams are basically saying that it's a lot easier to play um, like one road game and then two home games instead of paying for, um, you know, that team to just come to you one time. It's just a better quality investment. And, 
you know, it just it just makes more sense financially. Uh, as far as why they're only favored by 18, um, I just think this is a weird game on the road. You know, this is probably one of the biggest home games Wyoming has played in a while. Um, and, you know, or at least against one of the most, um, I don't know, I guess prestigious schools that they've had come in there in a long time. So should be um, a pretty big crowd, probably a pretty hostile environment. So, you know, I think that's probably the reason for that. Um, plus, we don't really know how Kelly Bryant's going to look in this offense. But uh, I do expect Missouri to, get, to go up there and get a win. Probably going to be a tough win, but I think they're going to be able to get it done. Did you know that the Wyoming head coach, Craig Bull, I think that's how you say his name, is like the the top – he was the top dog in FCS at North Dakota State before he got to Wyoming? No, I did not know that. Thank you for yeah. informing me. And it's kind of weird that North Dakota State is like the top dog in FCS because, like, they don't. There's no teams represented by like that general area in Division One level. Like, you could maybe argue Washington, I guess, but it's um, it's tough. It's tough to get a good team um, 